But the best thing about Christmas is this, and I know I could say this in a lot of different ways, but the best thing about Christmas is that it reminds us of the greatness, the goodness, the grace, the glory of God. That, that, that's the greatest thing about Christmas. There's not a day that goes by in my life that I can remember that I don't think about God's greatness. I, I stretch my imagination just as far as I can. And, uh, you know, for some, they might see a, a grandfatherly-like figure seated upon a throne and uh, have, you know, all different kinds of thoughts about what God is like. How do you, how do you describe God? I mean, God is spirit. God is, God is light. God is love. How do you describe him? He's everywhere. You can't go anywhere that God's not. You say, well, you mean he's like the air? Oh, no, he's much more than the air because you can go up high enough and it won't be no air. But God's there. And so when we think about the greatness of God, there's all different kinds of ways that we can think about it. He's beyond time. He is beyond space. And he's conscious of everything and in control of everything. We look at history and we see all of these disconnected events here and there. And um, if we could see those things through God's eyes, we would see that each one comes at a, uh, at a designated time in eternity. We don't see that, but God does because He is an ever-flowing force that either appoints or allows everything that happens and I want you to think about that as we turn to Galatians chapter number 4. Galatians chapter number 4. I want to read these first seven verses and then give you the text for the message. Paul writes, Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be lord of all, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed uh, of the Father. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, wherefore, thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. The more I read this verse and thought about it this week, I thought, I, I, I want to I preach about at least every verse. And I'd really like to preach a message on some of the different phrases in those verses. It is so jam-packed that I thought, how in the world can I limit what I'm going to say down to one message? I thought about all different kinds of titles for it, the uh, appointment of the Advent, and on and on uh, uh, things. But the title of the message today is taken from verse number four, and this is our text. But when the fullness of the time came, notice, when the fullness of the time was come, when the fullness of the time 
was come. Most people, most of the time, we preachers even, I think, are guilty of just ignoring that statement. We just, you know, we, we read it and we acknowledge that, well, I'm talking about, you know, Christmas and we just leave it there. We, it's interesting, but it is so very important that we need to do the best we can to comprehend exactly what is being said in that statement. When the fullness of the time was come. Now, when I read that, one of the things I think about is, is the, uh, an appalling thought of those that do not know the Lord. Th- those that are totally ignorant of what we're talking about. And, and that would include most of the world. Oh, I realize here in America where we've got so-called churches all over the place that everybody at least thinks they understand what Christmas is all about and they acknowledge that there was a man called Jesus that was born to, uh, sometime, they suspect, on December the 25th. Uh, but what if Jesus had never been born? Think about it. What, what if that had never happened? Now, I didn't just pull that thought out of the air. It's Jesus that first that first mentioned that fact. He said in John 15, 22, if I had not come, if I had not come, by him saying that, it tells me that he wants folks to think about that. If he had not come, have you ever thought about that? What if Jesus had never been born? What if the world had never heard all of the wonderful words from his lips? What, it caused men to marvel in that day. They'd never heard anybody that spoke as he did. What if there had been no life of perfection? What if there had never been those mighty miracles that we still talk about today? What if He had not died on the cross? What if He was still in the tomb? What if Christ had never been born at Bethlehem? Suppose that all of the libraries in the world, you search through all of them and you can't find any record of Christ. All of the all of the great, the glorious music, the poems, the hymns, and so forth, that, that would all be non-existent. The, the churches, that, there wouldn't be any churches. The schools that started out of churches, hospitals, and charitable institutions, and things of that nature, none of them would exist. There'd be no preachers, no teachers, no Sunday schools, no Christian literature, nothing like that just hard to imagine a, a, a world that would be like that. A world without Jesus. If Christ had not come, this is the worst part about it. If Christ had not come, all of the promises of God would have gone unfulfilled. God obligated Himself centuries before Jesus was born, in fact, God obligated Himself all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. But what if, what if God had not kept those promises? The character of God would be tainted as a result of that. We would even question the power or maybe even question the existence of God. 
There are people doing that today. Do you realize that at a record rate, there are so-called Christians, including preachers, pastors, that all of a sudden they're being de-churched. They, they claim now they're no longer believers. Don't even believe in God anymore. Were it not for the fact of the promises that God gave and the fulfillment of those promises, folks, we, we wouldn't have anything to hang our hope on. But knowing that God can't lie, knowing that God never fails, we can rest assured that as we celebrate the coming of Christ this Christmas, that He really did come. Something happened that changed everything. Notice the appointed time. I've underlined the word but there. But. You see, we get all worried about what if he had not come. The fact is, you don't need to worry about that. He did. He did come. He has come. But when the fullness of the time, that tells me that the way things are does not mean that's the way they're always going to be. Solomon had a lot to say about time and seasons and changes. And we look at we look at history and we see the ancient empires and the nations, how they rise and how they fall. And all of that is according to, according to divine providence. It's not something that man could do. We live by the clock. We live by the calendar, but God doesn't. God just does whatever He pleases whenever He pleases. And it's never at the wrong time. It's always right. We can always depend on, on what God does. But we don't understand it, do we? We can think about a lot of our membership that's sick this morning. We can think about the, the, the one that just went home to be with the Lord and think about all kinds of difficulties we have to face. We, we don't understand that. But we can know beyond any shadow of a doubt that God is in control of all of it. And that's why he says, when the fullness of the time, the time, speaking in reference to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, when all of these different events down through history, when all of these things converge by God's providential power to produce God's perfect purpose, and it was at the precise time that God chose it doesn't matter whether it was actually December the 25th or whatever. That, the date doesn't matter. The fact that he came and came at the precise moment, that's what really matters. Amen. God's always right on time. Yeah. Never early, never late. He's always on time. And when it relates to, to Christmas, this is more than just a Christmas story. A lot of times I think maybe we leave the impression with little children, or I say we, I, some folks do. I don't think we're guilty of that. A lot of folks leave the impression that, you know, it's uh, Christmas is just kind of like Easter and the Easter bunny and so forth. And uh, we plant that seed of doubt in their mind that it's all make-believe, fictitious, and that when you get older you'll understand that those things you know, weren't really true. But this really happened. He did come. 
In fact, we can, it, you could say it was a divine intrusion in, in man's life. And, and I say that because it's not the response of an invitation. It's not like here we, you know, at, at that particular time, it's not like the whole world had their hands lifted up to heaven saying, oh, please, dear Lord, come, we, we need you now. You know, there wasn't any invitation from the world. God at the precise moment, and I'm emphasizing that because there's five good reasons I want you to think about in just a minute. At that precise moment, at the appointed time, all of the conditions were perfect. The other day, a few weeks ago, we were thinking about Veterans Day, and, uh, and it made me, uh, made me think about the price that, uh, that our American soldiers and sailors and so forth, armed forces, the price that they've paid. And I read an article about uh, D-Day, June the 6th, 1944. This is when the Allied forces, whenever they beached uh, the, there in, in, in France to tear down the, the fortress, the, the, the Nazi European fortress that they had established there. And I'd never really thought about how all of this had to be coordinated. I'd never really thought about the timing of it. I just always thought, you know, well, on a certain day, the general said, all right, you know, we're all going to gather the Allied forces, and here we go. We're just going to rush in like a bull in a china shop, and we're going to get rid of the Germans. But it didn't happen that way. Timing was the most crucial thing. The weather had to be good to start with so the ships could safely navigate, get the troops there. The weather, weather had to be perfect. Not only the weather, but the moon even had to be full because of the paratroopers, the pilots, the captains of 5,000, over 5,000 ships. They had to ferry in the men and the equipment. The tide had to be high because of the fact that out in, the, for I think a 50 mile stretch there, uh, they, they had planted uh, bombs and traps and so forth, and, and they had to navigate around all of that, and the tide had to be high enough for them to do that. And then there was the intelligence factor. And that is that in the first place, we had to convince them some way or another, the Germans, that the attack is not going to happen, not going to happen there. It's going to happen 50 miles away. And they leaked information, and the Germans thought, man, we've, we've discovered this. It, it's going to be 50 miles from here. They even created a, I, I guess you would call it an imitation army, an imaginary army. Had inflatable tanks. You know, the Germans could fly over and look down. Look at all of those tanks down there. It wasn't any, anything other than just uh, an inflatable balloon that looked like a, ta a tank. And all of this had to take place before the initial strike and the victory. Now all of that, as difficult as it seems to be, and remember there were going to be their paratroopers going in there 
at nighttime, they had to get in there and take care of the roads and the bridges and everything to, to lead the way for those landing on the beaches. They, they, they couldn't be off target. They couldn't just drop out in a forest somewhere and hope they found their way back home. It all had to be done in coordination, specific timing, and it was crucial to the success of it. I, 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 I can't imagine getting all of the allied forces or any group of the nations today to work together in such a united effort to win such a victory as they did. I say all that to say this, compared to what God did, that's child play. That's just child play. Oh, it's difficult for man, easy for God. And I say that because whenever we look back through history and we see all of the different prophecies that God has given and how all of them had to come into play at, what did he say, the appointed time. It's unbelievable. It's a, it would take a miracle to do that. In the first place, it, it was a time of peace which was extremely unusual the Roman peace at that particular time. I mean, it had been one war after another war. Everybody fighting everyone, wanting world dominance. And the Pax Roma was made the guarantee of peace by the Romans, and everybody's under the authority and control, so to speak. And they said all roads lead to Rome, which was in a sense true because... They had created a highway system in every direction, all of the major directions at least. What the Romans didn't realize as they were constructing those highways, that they were making access for the gospel, the message of the gospel to be taken to the uttermost parts of the earth. They didn't have any idea that God was using them to make a way. And in order to get the message, the birth out as rapidly as possible, that had to be a part of the time. It couldn't have been like a hundred years before or anything. That was a part of the time. There also needed to be a common language. And at that particular time, Rome might have ruled the world, but the common language was Greek. Alexander the Great made certain of that. And everybody everywhere, even if they, you know, couldn't speak it well, they, you know, they could converse with others well enough that they knew what was being said. That was the, that was the uh, general language of the known world at that time. Oh, by the way, you realize the Word of God was written, what, in Greek, transmitted to, to others in the Greek language. Had that been several hundred years before or later, it would have been very difficult to communicate with others. Today we send missionaries in foreign fields to some places where they don't even have the Bible translated in their language. And we have modern day technology and what have you that we can do that in a we can do that in a heartbeat nowadays, but you couldn't do it back then 
And this was the message that God wanted the entire world to know that the one that I promised way back in Genesis chapter 3, I want that message spread throughout the world. Another factor is that at that particular time there was a moral cesspool. I almost hesitate to mention this because when you look through history, you could say that ever since the fall, the world has been a moral cesspool. That's exactly the way you could describe it. But at this particular time, and leading up to the birth of Christ, it was more so to the extent that even the philosophers and the great supposedly uh, intelligent people of that day of the Roman Empire and so forth, they even recognized that, that this is out of hand. And in their writings, it's evident that it's so bad that we can't do anything about it. We can't change it. It's, our world has become rotten to the core. And I think to myself, what a perfect picture that is of Romans chapter number 1. When they knew God, they glorified Him not as God. Neither were they thankful, but they became vain in their imagination and their foolish heart was darkened. That was the world that Jesus came into. It was also a time whenever there was religious confusion or bankruptcy, as some have put it. Lots of religions, but, but everybody was confused. Everybody had their own gods, and I say that plural. I've often said the thing about Israel throughout, throughout Israel's history. You look back, and the chief thing between Israel and all of the other nations is the fact they believed that there was only one God, whereas all of the others you have many gods as you want, the more the better. That was their idea. Someone wrote, a historian said that, that Greece was one Rome, he's a Greece writer, writing about Rome, he said it was one large altar, the, the whole thing, God's everywhere. It was all about religion, and yet at the same time, nobody was really satisfied with, with what they had. By the way, it's always been that way. Until you come to know Christ, you can try any religion you want. I remember one day it was talking to a fellow back there. It would be about on the back row, about where I'm pointing, the middle of, middle of that back row. Talking to a man and, uh, who professed to be a, a, a believer and uh, I trust that he is. And he stood there and he told me the journey that he had been through and all of the different books and re religious books that that he had read, the different religions that he had investigated. And, and I guess he had, he's talking about things I'd never even heard before, didn't understand. He'd, he'd looked into all of them. A lot of folks like that, you know, they may not go to that extreme. They might, you know, find some slap-happy group out here, a religious group that, boy, they really like this. I mean, it's right down my eye. I love the way they sing. I love this and I love that. Uh, and uh, but after a while if you don't know Jesus you're not going to be happy you'll never know what real joy and what real peace is till you know Christ is your savior and when Jesus came it was at a time where people so to speak were dissatisfied 
with what was going on. They were still religious, but dissatisfied with it. And all during this 400-year period between the Old Testament and the New Testament, during that time, I want you to think about this, the Jews had moved from here to yon. In other words, they're scattered all over the known world, every part of the ancient world. And as they did that, they would build their synagogues, their buildings, their meeting places. You know, they have a group of Jews over here. Well, we've got to meet together, build a building. That's where we're going to worship God, the true God. Titus destroyed the temple in 70 A.D., and now they're scattered about, and they're building all of these buildings. And guess what? Well, after Jesus came, those same synagogues, those same buildings were used by the apostles often to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, to debate others, whatever. But they had a meeting place. God prepared the highway. God prepared the building and, and everything. But the most important of all of these is the prophetic timing. That's the, the prophetic factor. The fact that God obligated Himself. I just mentioned the fact, going back to Genesis chapter 3, that He was to be born the, what, the seed of a woman. The seed of woman. Didn't say the seed of a man. And ordinarily when you're referring to people in the Bible, it's always the so-and-so was the seed of Abraham or Isaac or Jacob or whatever. But in this case, speak about the seed of a woman. And, and probably your Sunday school teacher will be talking a lot about that or some about that. But that's crucial because God took the male element out of it, that male factor out of the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was to be born of a woman, but then you read on, you get to chapter 12. God says he's also going to be the seed of Abraham. Well, okay. You read on, and then you get over chapter 49, uh, the tribe of Judah. Now, I'm telling you, it's getting more difficult all of the time. You, you, following the lineage here, it's getting more difficult to, to narrow it down. And then you get over to 2 Samuel, all of a sudden he's got to be the seed of David. Now you understand a lot, of these, a lot of these men had far more than one or two children. He's got to be the seed of David. He even says he's had to be born in Bethlehem. And we just go on and on with all of these different prophecies about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that 483 years that Daniel had prophesied, all of that is coming to the close and all of that is coming down to the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. How in the world could, could that just happen? Somebody says, well, you know, I'm not sure I really believe that the Bible is really a, a, a book that was written by God. How else do you account for the Bible. It's a book man would not have written and could not if he would. We, we couldn't write something like this. Think about all of those prophecies that have been given and every one of them had to be fulfilled. It's an impossibility except with God. His son came at what? The 
the appointed time, that exact crucial moment. What a, this is the, the awesome truth. Look at verse 4. Who's behind all of this? God. God. Don't forget, he's the giver of, of the gift. God gave what? His son. God, at the time appointed, something God did at the appointed time, what did he do? He gave us the gift of his son. And, and look at verse 5. Here's the goal. He says to redeem them which were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Aren't you glad for redemption? That he came to secure for us a place in God's family. And we don't have to worry about what would have happened if Jesus had not come. The fact is he came. As I've often said, he came to project light. We live in a world of spiritual darkness. But when Jesus came, he came to, to bring spiritual light into the world and life into the world. To set it in liberty. Though so affected by sin, he came to bring, to bring genuine love. All of this is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is, accounts for the amazing transformation that happens in our lives. Salvation for sinners. Why none of us could ever be saved? Notice, he's talking about those that are under the law. There's not one person here or anywhere else could raise their hand and say, you know, preacher, I, I know you mean well, but, but I, I know somebody or maybe you think that you're one of those people that you have, you've not violated any of God's commandments. Or you just violated one then because you lied. Because there's nobody that can say, I've lived a life of perfection because it's beyond our ability. See, the law was never intended to save anyone. Somebody thinks, oh, you know, I'll get to heaven if I just keep God's law. If I do good enough, you know, I'll get, no, no. The law can't save you. It wasn't designed to save you. The law was intended to make you realize that you are a sinner. And if we're honest and we look at that law, we have to confess I'm a sinful man, oh God. And thank God in Christ because He came. There's salvation for sinners. Any sinner. Doesn't make any difference what they've done. There's forgiveness for those that have fallen. Reconciliation for those that have lived their life in rebellion against God. Help for those that are absolutely, totally helpless in and of themselves to do anything about it. Healing for those that, that are hurting and those that are sick. There's hope for those that, have, that are hopeless otherwise. Let me read you a verse that sums it up, I think, about as well as anything. 1 John 5, 20. And we know... Aren't you glad there's some things you can know there's no doubt about whatsoever? And we know that the Son of God has come, so we don't have to doubt that. We know that and have given us an understanding that we may know Him that is true and that we are in Him that is true, even in His Son Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. 
Thank God for that. Thank God that we can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we're a child of God. Yes. John 1, verse 11, here's the awful tragedy of it. It says, he came unto his own. Thank God for that. Here's the tragedy, and his own received him not. You know, history is full of great, horrible tragedies that have happened. We think about what's going on in Israel. What happened to Israel, maybe I should say. What's still happening. And it's, it's, it's one, of the, one of the writers the other day said this just sets a, redefines what torture is all about. It's beyond anything that evidently that we even know about in history. What Hamas has done. Let me tell you, that's not the worst tragedy in the world. We think about the day, some of you can still remember the day when the, when the plane hit, planes hit the tires. You can think of other tragedies, but let me tell you, the greatest tragedy of all is that he came into his own and his own received him not. For you to walk out here today Listen, it'd be one thing, it'd be so sad if, if you called Brother Kenneth or I this week and said, Brother Stone, I just got back from the doctor and I've been diagnosed with a severe form of cancer and I, I, I've just got a matter of months to live. Sometimes people get a diagnosis like that. It really happens. But that's not the worst thing that could happen. The very worst thing that could happen, the worst tragedy of all, is for someone to reject the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the bad news, but here's the good news. There in John chapter 1, the very next verse said, But as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God. You say, well, how do they do that? Well, he says, even to them that what? Believe on his name. It's not a matter of of being baptized. Baptism's important, but it won't save you. It's not a matter of joining the right church because there's no church that can save you. It's not a matter of being a good neighbor. It's a matter of whether or not you have placed your trust in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. Until you trust Him, you acknowledge the fact that He is indeed the Lord of all. You acknowledge that. You realize you are a sinner. You have violated God's righteous standard and that you see no other way to heaven except through Christ and you trust Him. Believe. You see, the Lord couldn't have made it any more simple than that. I can't do a hundred push-ups like I used to. I can't hardly walk. Uh, anymore. I, I, I can't do a lot of things, but I can believe. You can believe. You say, oh, I don't have that kind of faith. Uh, you choose not to. It's a choice you make. You don't go 100 miles an hour down 1960, even uh, you might make it a, a ways. Uh, you could do that. It'd be foolish. 
But it'd be a choice that you make, wouldn't it? And we can choose whether we... Oh, I know there's, there's a certain group of people that believe, oh no, that's, it's all predestinated. God decides that some's going to go to heaven and some's going to go to hell. Nothing anybody can do about it. Well, my Bible doesn't say that. Amen. My Bible says, whosoever will may come. Amen. There's a, we all think about the little town of Bethlehem. Even sing about Bethlehem here this morning. There's a stanza in that that uh, we almost never notice, and I want to close by reading this stanza of that song. How silently, how silently, the wondrous gift is given, so God imparts to human hearts the blessing of His heaven. No ear may hear His coming, but in this world of sin. Where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. Just as those original apostles believed on him, received him, and you look down through history at all of those that, uh, all of those Christians. Simply putting their trust in Him, you say, we live in a different day today. That doesn't change one thing about the truth of this blessed old book I hold in my hand. It's just as true today as it has ever been. And whenever the Lord gives you His promise that whosoever will may come, and He promises that if you're willing to place your faith in Christ, you can become a child of God. Wouldn't it be wonderful to get the, that would be the greatest Christmas gift you've ever received. The greatest gift of any kind you could ever receive. And it could happen, you could get your gift early this year. You don't have to wait till Christmas. It could happen right here this morning. I hope you'll do that. While we all stand, Brother David's going to come, and Brother Kenneth, we're going to, Extend this invitation. It may be that you're saved today, but God's uh, been dealing with your heart about something. Or it might be you're just heavy-hearted. There's a need in someone's life that you're concerned about. You just want to come and pray. You don't want to talk to anyone. You just, you just want to come and get on your knees for a while or sit down where you are and just, and just pray. Father, speak to our hearts today. Lord, there's no way in the world that we can, of ourselves, do the things that need to be done. There are people here today that have broken hearts due to whatever. It may be an illness. It might be a financial difficulty or a loss of a job. It could be a thousand and one things. But Lord, help them to... Help them to realize that you care about their situation. It's not something that, that you're indifferent to, but you're genuinely concerned about whatever concerns them. And not only do you care, but Lord, that you're willing and able to help us in our time of need. And I pray they'll bring that need before you. And if there's some man, woman, a boy or girl here today that's never received Christ as their Savior, may they do so here this morning. And we promise that we'll give you alone all of the 
all of the praise and honor and glory for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. While we sing.